Welcome to the Tybee Marine Science Center podcast, an authentic coastal experience. Welcome to the Tybee Island Marine Science Center podcast. We are so excited to be always on location here at the Tybee Island Marine Science Center. And uh, that's why you might hear kids in the background. You might hear all kinds of uh, fun things going on. You know, you might uh, you might hear a little pitter-patter of little feet. Like, I don't know. You, you never know um, what you're going to hear on this podcast. But I know you're going to hear a lot of information um, that you're really, really going to want to take in and share with other people. And it's no different today as we continue to talk about the conservation programs and projects here at Tybee Allen Marine Science Center. Sarah Alley, who's part of the curator team, is with me on this episode. And Sarah, welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited to be back. This is uh, this is going to be a fun one because I, I really I really want everyone to learn about not only the the projects that you guys do here and and the work that you do in the field and so you know so much that goes on, but I know you've got some some really good facts to pass along, um, especially when it comes to the sea turtle project and also Diamondback Terrapin Rescue and Release. This is an important project. This is important work that you guys do. And give us a little bit of kind of the origin of of these projects and, and how, how, how important they are. Yeah, for sure. So here at the Science Center, obviously, we have a lot of educational programs. We are a public building, so people come in and learn here. But we also go out in the field often, which is part of my favorite part of the job, honestly. I've always enjoyed being out in nature, even if it's stinky and buggy. Right. Um, so the sea turtle project is something that's pretty big here on Tybee. When you come to Tybee, guests are always like, where are the turtles? We want to see the turtles. Right. Um, and so we have the sea turtle project, which is going to be the main part of our nesting season here on Tybee. And so we have our loggerhead sea turtles, um, and they're going to come up and start nesting. And during that process, we have our... Um, the project director, which is Tammy Smith currently. She is a teacher over at Tybee Island Maritime Academy, which is pretty cool. She gets to teach everyone and then also go out in the field uh, quite a bit. Um, And she's been doing it for around 20 years, um, which is really awesome. And then at the Science Center, we have um, our volunteers who go out and help coordinate the project. So they're going to nest monitor. They're going to look for new nest. They're going to mark the nest, babysit the nest when they're ready to hatch and do all of those things. Um, We have one of the largest volunteer projects in the state, which is really cool. Um, We're not a huge island, but we have a lot of people who want to get involved, which is really great. Statewide, we have the Georgia Sea Turtle Cooperative, which is basically every island who gets nesting sea turtles. They have their own team. So everyone does it a little differently here on Tybee. We're very populated. So our other islands, the barrier islands are wild islands. There's nothing there besides the people who live there during the season. So here on Tybee, we have a lot of tourists, which can be kind of difficult for a season. So we have to educate them properly, make sure our city ordinances are in place um, as far as like lighting and no touching sea turtles and things like that. And so that season will start in May, typically, is when those moms are going to start coming up and nesting. And then the babies will hatch all the way through October. So during those times is when we have everyone out on That's the beach. That's a long time. Yeah, it's quite a bit of time. You know, when you think about, like, how many people are looking um, and, and, you know, visiting and, you know, how many people are on Tybee during that time. I mean, that is a long time for... 
there to be some concern, I would imagine, over, you know, these wonderful things that are happening. It's also prime beach time, right? So the warmer the weather, the more people we have, um, which can be kind of a conflict. But we're able to put out signage. We're able to um, have extra programs here, like our turtle talks and things like that for the public to come and get that info. And during the times where we're going to have, you know, nest hatching, everyone wants to see a baby sea turtle. But we have our volunteers out there sitting with the nest to make sure should the eggs hatch during this time, which we don't know when they will. We have a rough idea of on some days, but you never know if they're going to come in the middle of the night or in the morning. Uh, We have our volunteers out there to lead those turtles to the water and make sure no humans are picking them up. A lot of other islands like the other barrier islands have huge predator issues. Mm-hmm. So they're worried about predators taking the turtles away. And we're worried about people taking right, the turtles course. away. Yeah, it's like a big ocean maternity ward here. Yeah. Um, I feel like, right? I mean, yeah. it's just like, you guys are on watch. You're on yes. standby. Always. You know, there's a group of people with cigars. It's a boy or a girl. Like, we don't yes, know. Yeah. But you, like, don't know when it's going to happen. Exactly. Like, you know, that's kind of crazy. It's pretty, in, it's, it's crazy. It can kind of intimidating. Because especially when you're nest sitting, because, you know, you can come out at sunset and sit out here until almost midnight. And then you're like, okay, I got to go home and sleep. But what (laughs) happens if the turtles uh, hatch during those times? So that's where our signage comes into play and like any articles we can get out and um, broadcasting we can do to help educate people. Because a lot of the times people don't have malicious intent. They're just uneducated. They are unaware of the effect they're putting on these turtles when they're, you know, messing with a nesting female or they're picking up hatchlings and putting them in the ocean. We want them to crawl to the ocean. We want them to have that experience because they're born knowing what to do. They don't need us here except for to help facilitate the most safe way to get them out there. Um, Obviously on the islands where we have like big predator issues, we're not going to go out and tackle a wild boar or anything (laughs) like that. Nature is doing its thing. Right. Um, So we don't interfere in those ways. We try to interfere in the human interaction because all these animals were here before we were, and they've been doing this for, you know, hundreds of years and doing just fine. But when those humans come into play, it can get kind of messy. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how many people might be coming to visit um, Tybee Island and sort of just see the ocean for the first time, maybe, yeah. you know, and there there might be a lot of people who see this happening and they're like, oh, I can go over and touch that and do yeah. that. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting and you do want to watch it. But yeah. at the same time, you know, there are some very protected things and rules and things that you need to know about. Exactly. So sea turtles are, we get five here off the coast of Georgia that um, whether they're breeding, nesting or foraging, we have quite the yummy ocean out there. Um, They're all federally protected. So even if you're caught messing with a deceased sea turtle or you have a sea turtle bone or something like that, you can get fined up to $10,000 just for interfering with those animals because they have had such a um, problem with extinction almost. Some of them have um, become more threatened, some have become endangered. And so we have these specific laws set in place to you know, avoid those numbers decreasing. The loggerhead here in Georgia 
is doing pretty well. Um, we still considered them, you know, they're on the Endangered Species Act, but the numbers are pretty well here. But that doesn't mean you should go mess with them, right. even with our turtles in-house that we have on display. If you're caught messing with Westie or anything like that, you can get in big, big trouble, not just by us. We're going to be really upset with you, um, but by, you know, the, the government, sure. which is not something to mess with. Yeah, and a lot of people just don't know that. Yeah, that, like, you Completely know, you unaware. can get fined for these things, yeah. you know. Um, talk a little bit about uh, the sea turtle uh, residents that you have had here at the yeah. Tybee Island Marine Science Center and why yeah. you have them, because that's really important too. It's not like you guys are, you know, during nesting season, just like scooping one up because yeah. hey, this one's cute and he's going to stay yeah. at the science center. <laughs> right, right. There, there is conservation and protection that goes on For sure. with that. So um, when these guys hatch out, they are about the size of a potato chip. They're very small. Um, as soon as they hatch out of their egg, they are at risk of getting eaten or taken by anything and everything. I've seen ants take over an entire nest. I've seen birds, um, snakes, all kinds of stuff. And so when they hatch out, they typically try to hatch all at the same time. But some of them get stuck at the bottom. And those are what we call our stragglers. So a straggler is just a smaller turtle who's left behind. They're a little puny. Uh, and we find them during our nest excavation, which is a program we do here at the Marine Science Center. Um, and that's where five days after that nest naturally hatches, we're going to go to that nest and we're going to completely dig everything up and we're going to see our success rate. So how many turtles hatched, how many didn't hatch, how many stragglers are left. During that process, if we have space here at the Marine Science Center for a new marine debris ambassador, like our sea turtles, um, we pick out a straggler and we raise them here until they're three years old. So currently on display, we have Westy, who is one, turned one in August of this year and came to us from Ossabaw Island, um, which is a local barrier island. And Westy was a straggler. And so the idea behind it is when you see a turtle face to face and you know you get to see them grow up and become bigger and stronger, you have a more emotional connection with them. Um, people want to touch the turtles. They want to see the turtles. So even if they don't see them out in the wild, they can come to the science center, see them here in a safe environment. Some people think that if we keep them here, it might be like inhumane or we're stunting their growth or we're affecting their ability to live and thrive once we release them at three years old. But sea turtles are born knowing exactly what to do. And so our last turtle we released, we covered that, um, was Ike. And Ike was three years old and 64 pounds. Huge. Very big. Yes. Um, and Ike knew exactly what to do. Get out in the ocean, swim, hunt, feed, sleep. Uh, turtles live a pretty... Um, calm life. They don't really hang out with other turtles that we know of. They're pretty unresearched still in that aspect because when you see a turtle, they're usually full grown and they're nesting or they're a baby. Right. Um, and so the idea behind it is when you see a turtle here, when kids see that and you're able to say, Hey, what you do at home, even if you live all the way in Oklahoma or somewhere crazy, right? Far away from the ocean, what you do there still affects the animals out in the ocean. Right. So it's that emotional connection you're able to teach with. We can show you stuffed animals all day, but nothing's as good as the real thing. Sure. So like size wise, um, what is the size when they are, you know, just being when they're in the whole nesting process and that's happening. And what do you guys call it? It's when they boil. Yeah, right? What is the size then in comparison to um, like what size is Westy now yeah. just after? 
after being turning yeah. one. And then, of course, you know, Ike was huge yeah. at 60, 64, 64 yeah. pounds. How does that progression? I mean, that's a short amount of time because yeah. Ike was three. Yes. Okay. So um, when they hatch, they are really small, like the size of a Pringle or a chip. Typically, some of them smaller than others. Your stragglers are usually a little smaller because they're a little more stunted. Mm -hmm. um, Westy is around six pounds right now. Um, reptiles specifically will grow as much as you allow them to and feed them. So Westy could eat all day and be really pleasantly plump, but we don't want that here. Um, and so Westy is about the size of a dinner plate, I'd say. Um, Ike was this Ike was just big. Um, Ike was probably, I think either the Ike largest, was like a buffet plate, yeah, or really, the like second largest. Yeah. Very large. Um, and it's hard to say in the wild, what size those loggerheads are at those ages, mm -hmm. because the chances of you, a researcher being on a boat and just, you know, moseying past a one or two year old loggerhead sea turtle is really rare. Also, you can't age them. Mm -hmm. So how we age dogs by the way their teeth look, how we age a tree by the rings on the lines of the stump, uh, you can't really age a sea turtle. They don't have those uh, characteristics to mm -hmm. allow that. So it's hard to say full grown loggerheads have been known to get up to around 400 pounds. Ooh. And those are going to be your nesting females, yeah. right? The, the females are larger. They need room for all those eggs. So the growth can happen really fast. And as much as we would feed them when Ike was getting ready to be released, we had to cut uh, Ike's diet down quite a lot because we were like, you're getting very, very big, very fast yeah. because reptiles have a slower metabolism, right? So they're not burning as many calories as like a cat or a dog does. So they yeah. have strict diets while they're here. So they don't get too big. Too right. Fast. Right. Cause you know, you see pictures, right. And it's like, sometimes you see the really, 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 really huge yes. ones and people are like, okay, now how do they get to that? You know, yeah. and, and how does that happen? Um, but you know, unless you're walking them on a treadmill, like yeah. you're not going to keep that ideal <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Plus, I don't think they want to keep that pace. So. No, they want to do what they want. Yeah. They have no ask, like no concept of um, anything besides eat, sleep, poop, and that's pretty much that's, it. That's and the swim. Deal. What a life, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, talk a little bit about before we uh, move into the diamondback terrapin. Talk a little bit about the uh, you know we talked about the human element, you mm -hmm. know, with with sea turtles, and that's certainly quite a big deal. Um, what other factors are they facing, like risk factors, and and how can people sort of put that a little bit more on their radar yeah. to say, you know, if I see this, or can I be a part of helping this? Right. You know, what can I do? So. While it's fun to talk about conservation programs because you talk about like hatching babies and stuff, it can get pretty morbid. It can get pretty sad. Um, so while our job is fun to nest it and things like that, we are responding to stranded sea turtles. And so um, the state of Georgia has a stranding network. Um, and that is going to be if like somebody sees a sea turtle wash up on the beach. A lot of the times once they've washed up, they're either super malnourished um, or they've been hit or struck by a boat and are usually dead. So a lot of interactions that happen that cause those things are going to be like improper fishing. So people go out on the pier and fish all day. I'm one of them. But if you hook a sea turtle, you have to know what to do. 
Because sea turtles are big and strong, and even if you reel them all the way up to the pier, the chances of you getting the hook out of their mouth is very slim. So there's proper people to call, whether you call the Georgia Department of Natural Resources or you call the Marine Science Center. And that's when we're going to go out and we have a kit that we have, um, and we're going to remove that hook from the turtle. And even if you've gotten the hook out yourself, it's still great to call us, especially because we have the proper equipment to tag the turtle or see if the turtle has been tagged before. So someone could easily catch Ike for all we know. And then we mm. reel an Ike and we see that that's our turtle. Yeah. Um, and so in those processes, we go out and even if the turtle's deceased, we're going to collect a lot of data. So we go out and get um, lots of pictures. We get their measurements. Sometimes we weigh them depending on the situation. So we're going to measure their carapace, which is the top of the shell, the width and the length. And then we're going to scan them with a microchip scanner. And so this is the same microchip that your cats and dogs have at home. Uh, we scan them. If they have a chip, we're going to put it into our system, see who tagged that turtle, where that turtle's been, things like that. And if they don't have a chip, then we're going to insert one right underneath their um right in their shoulder, almost underneath their shell, kind of. And then they'll also get special metal uh, tags on their back flippers. That's going to have special codes on them as well. And those grow with them. It's just like an ear piercing. And so those situations are super important. If we have a deceased turtle, a lot of the times we're going to con, well, every time we're going to contact our state um, coordinators, which one of them is Mark Dodd, and he's going to tell us what we need to do. If it's a specific species, like if we have a Kemp's Ridley or something um, other than a loggerhead, a lot of the times they're going to want different data because those turtles aren't coming here to nest. They're coming here to forage. And if they've been hit by a boat, um, we're able to roughly get an idea of where that boat accident happened, hopefully. Um, and sometimes they're gonna do necropsies, which is an autopsy, but just on an animal. And so we're able to cut into the animal, see what the animal was eating, you know, were they sick and then got hit by a boat? Did they eat plastic and drown and then float up and get hit by a boat before dying mm -hmm. or after mm -hmm. dying? And so you're able to see those things. It is a nasty job, but it's actually really interesting. We had a Kemp's Ridley not too long ago here on Tybee and we were able to do the necropsy, which was really neat to see. Um, not many people want to get, you know, gloves on and go inside of a dead animal, but you're able to see the life that animal lived. Um, in that Kim's Ridley, there was like seven different species of crabs that it was eating, oh, wow. which is really cool yeah. to see. Uh, and in that one specifically, we were able to tell that it was just a boat strike. Um, and then when you have a stranded sea turtle washed up, sometimes they are alive, especially in the winter time. So, this is about the time where we start getting cold stun turtles. Turtles are supposed to um, migrate down to warmer waters once the winter hits. Sometimes they don't do it. Sometimes they're not in time. And so they'll get essentially pneumonia, hypothermia almost, and they just float around. So if you see a floating turtle out on your boat or if you're on a pier or on the beach, uh, you always call and contact us, which is super important. And then that also involves like our signages we, we want to have, right? Like if you see a turtle, do this. If if you hook a turtle, do this. Right. Don't You're not going to get in trouble if you hook a turtle. You can't control. Fishing is about luck. You yeah, don't know yeah. what you're getting, of right? Yeah. If you reel up a turtle, you're not doing it on purpose. You're not going to get in trouble by us. We just want our data and we want to make sure that we can help that species get to where they need to go. Right, right. And and so like, let's say someone does, you know, see a sea turtle that's floating like you were mm -hmm. talking about and they're um, in the cold shock kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What is, how do you guys help within yeah, that situation? So, um, 
the state of Georgia, we don't necessarily get a ton of cold stun turtles here. It's more up in the um, like Cape Cod mm -hmm. and Maine and things like that where the water is extremely cold. As cold as I think our ocean is here, it's not quite the same as right, it is there. Right. And so in those situations, um, a researcher or a coordinator is going to go out and um, get the turtle. And actually, a lot of those turtles from all the way up the East Coast do make their way down to Georgia to the Georgia Sea Turtle Center on Jekyll Island or to Sea Turtle Incorporated in Texas. Um, and in those situations, they actually um, fly the sea turtles, which is oh, really wow. cool. Um, there's a organization, I think it's called Sea Turtles Fly Too. And it's uh, people who donate their time and their planes to actually transport the turtles down. And then those transportations are pretty easy because the turtle's out of it. You just put them in a nice box, keep them moist, get them to the vet. And in that situation, they're going to assess what's going on, um, slowly warm that animal back up. Sea turtles and reptiles are cold-blooded, but they're not meant to be that cold. And slowly warm them up, assess any other um, problems they have, and then eventually release them back out. Typically, when they release them, they have hundreds. So they actually, a lot of people have uh, videos of the turtles literally going down a slide from a oh, boat wow. into the ocean once That's the water's awesome. warmer. So uh, sea turtles getting stunned is not a huge thing we see here firsthand, but it is something that our partners like the Georgia Sea Turtle Center, where we take our turtles and our animals, uh, they get a big response from that. And so they're able to help, which is awesome. That's amazing. Um, and who's Googling a sea turtle slide, by the way, <laughs> anybody? Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Diamondback Terrapin Rescue and Release uh, Program. Uh, there's so much to talk about with these little creatures. Yeah. Um, they're just so interesting. And, and so let's, let's learn a little bit. Yeah. So for people hearing diamondback terrapin, uh, sometimes people are like, what's well, a terrapin? Well, it's just a turtle. Um, so it's the same as, you know, another freshwater turtle or a sea turtle, but they have just different, um, characteristics to them. So terrapin is specific to like brackish water. Brackish water is going to be where your fresh and saltwater mix. So our marshland here in Georgia, we have a ton of marsh and that's a great ecosystem for those terrapins to live. Um, another way I like to introduce the terrapin is a little bit morbid, but in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, they were seen as a delicacy. So if you ever hear turtle soup or terrapin soup, that's that species. Um, so then people start realizing, oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. And these are um, our brackish water turtles. So here on Tybee, we have a great population of them. In my opinion, in the state of Georgia, we have a good population. They have a huge range all the way up um, from Cape Cod and Massachusetts, all the way down uh, around Florida and all the way over to Texas. These guys have a huge range. They're one of the only turtles Actually, I think they are the only turtle that actually lives full time in brackish water, which is amazing. They can tolerate salt water and they can tolerate fresh water. Um, so here on Tybee, when you are biggest um, connection to the terrapin, I say, is when you drive out on Highway 80, you pass turtle crossing signs. Growing up, when I used to come to Tybee, I'd be like, oh, sea turtles going to cross the road right, all the right. way out here. People come in all the time and think that, but it's really those terrapins. And so... When you see those turtle crossing signs, we associate them with our diamondback terrapin. 
And um, here at the Science Center, we have a program, our Hatchling Head Start program, which is where we are gonna have those tiny little terrapin babies. They come out of the egg about the size of a quarter, very small, and we're gonna raise them here until they're about the size of our fist and then release them back out. We also have two permanent resident terrapins, which is Ruby and Pearl. Y'all have heard about them before, and they're around 20 to 25 years old. So they stay here permanently to educate about the terrapins. Now, how long will they, how old will they get? Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, in captivity, things tend to live a little longer because they're getting all the perfect care. I will say they're very spoiled here. Um, But they say 30 to 45 years. Um, So when people say, I want a pet turtle, I'm like, be prepared because they can live a long time and they require a lot of work. They could outlive you. Be careful. Exactly. (laughs) And so we have our Hatchling Head Start program here, um, which kind of kick-started quite a while ago. Um, and it was because lots of people, uh, residents on Tybee were calling saying, Hey, we have, um, a turtle in our backyard, or we have a hatchling here and we don't know what it is. And people will say it's a sea turtle. It's something. And so what we'll do is, um, go out, pick up that turtle. Um, if they're healthy on the spot, we'll just let them go back, do their thing. But if they have any issues, we'll bring them back to the science center. Um, and during that process, eventually they started collecting lots of hatchlings uh, who were misplaced, right? So ideally a hatchling is going to be in a marsh area. They're going to be able to eat the crabs and the snails and things like that. But um, when they're misplaced, sometimes they end up out on the beach and then they're, you know, fodder for everyone. Anyone can eat them. And so collecting them here, we decided uh, at the old science center, they had a display of hatchling head start here. We have our six tanks, which is where we'll house them and they eat and they grow big and strong. And then towards the summer or really late spring, once the water warms up, we'll release them back out, which is really great. Um, Another thing with the terrapins, you can get kind of morbid, is when they do cross the road, is when we're going to go out and do like the dirty work of it. So we'll go out and collect the bodies and things like that. But typically, if they're brought in here, they're happy, they're healthy. People just grab them and say, I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, well, you know, as long as they don't have any wounds or anything, put them back in their spot. Like, they're probably confused because your house is here and, you know, they've been coming here to nest or walk across the road for as long as they can remember. But now we have all this property out here, Mm -hmm. which can be kind of confusing, I'd imagine, to an animal who is just doing what nature tells them. <laughs> I mean, as beautiful as, as it is, no doubt, you know, and I know other coastal areas, you know, probably feel the same way, but it's, it, it's wonderful to, to have, have housing and live yeah. in that kind of environment. But when you think about like, especially on Tybee, you know, and you think about how close the actual turtle environment, mm-hmm. the terrapin environment is to the road. Exactly. It's extremely close exactly. on the causeway coming in yes. uh, when you're coming on to Tybee. So that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's pretty much one of the biggest threats for yeah. the terrapin. Yeah. Right? So it was, you know, they were a delicacy. People were eating them. The numbers finally uh, inclined and got better, but definitely here on Tybee, I think our biggest mortality impact is causeway uh, injuries hit on the causeway, things like that. Obviously you're going to have, um, other issues would be like, so sea turtles and all turtles breathe air the same way we do. So they drown the same way we can drown. So, um, a curious diamondback terrapin, usually they make their way into a crab pot here, mm-hmm. a crab trap. And so they're getting that bait. They can't fit back out sometimes and they get stuck in there and drown. Uh, so we have different things and set in place, turtle exclusion devices, four crab pots here and crab traps that 
don't allow those turtles to go in there. But the causeway is the biggest problem. We usually average around 200 to 250 females hit and killed on the causeway um, each nesting season. And so they're not just crossing the road all year round. This is only in about two months we have that many turtles. Right. And so turtles specifically uh, typically go to high, la- high ground, high land um, to nest because those eggs are usually a little more porous than like a bird egg. And so they have the ability to drown underwater. So those terrapins out here are usually crossing Highway 80 to get to higher ground. Um, And that's just their instinct. And, you know, the speed limit on Highway 80 is like 55. And going 55 miles per hour, you could easily stop maybe for like a huge, a big mammal, right? Like a deer or something. But by the time you see a turtle, it's more dangerous for you to stop than it is to get out and help and things like that. So these turtles are getting hit uh, in their nesting process and sometimes during the breeding months because those all kind of interconnect. Um, And so that nesting season is April. uh, Well, late April is when they stop breeding. And then May and June is when they're going to start nesting here. And that's when we start seeing the hugest mortality issue. Um, And a lot of the times those females are hit before they've had a chance to lay eggs. And so that is a big problem for future terrapin right. population right. issues. So while it is very sad, um, we get to collect the bodies. Um, and if someone brings in a turtle, a lot of the time, it, you, sometimes they can be fixed. Sometimes we can take them over to Oatland Island and they literally use bra straps to put the shell back together. But sometimes turtles... Um, are hit and they're alive, but they have a slow death, unfortunately. Mm. Um, But what we're able to do is comfortably euthanize them here and then actually remove the eggs from the body. We call it an eggectomy. And so that's cutting into that um, body, getting the eggs out. And then what we do is we're able to send them over to Georgia Southern with Dr. Craven and incubate those eggs there and then hatch them back out for our hatchling Isn't head start that program. Just amazing <laughs> yeah. when you think about it, right? Like that you can make that almost, I mean, not almost, you can make that moment Mm-hmm. so worthwhile right because it's it's so unfortunate right that, you know they're getting hit and injured to the point where they they can't um continue and right. yet you can take the babies exactly and, and they can continue it's like a silver lining yeah. almost um that we're able to that's amazing take the bodies and then um remove those eggs it's it's really great and then those little turtles are super cute. So of course they spark everyone's interest, especially when they're on display here. Um, and then releasing them is always exciting. So it is an, a gnarly situation to go out. And a lot of the times, majority of the egg ectomies mm-hmm. we do here are usually turtles being brought in. By the time we're able to go out and collect those bodies off the causeway, um, they're usually flattened. Um, so Chantal, our executive director, took over um, going out and processing the bodies um, over a decade ago, which is really awesome. And so what she does is go out first thing in the morning um, very early, usually right as the sun is rising because that road is so busy. It's our popular time. Hotter weather means more people at the beach. And so what she's doing and um, she's let some of us tag along, which is really fun. We're actually going out, scooping the bodies off the road and getting GPS 
uh, coordinates of where they're actually crossing and where they're hit. And that gives us hot spots. So those turtle crossing signs are put in those specific places for a reason. Um, and with that research, we're hopefully going to be able to, you know, whether it be like temporary fencing during nesting season or pathways for the turtles to safely cross over. We're hoping those numbers can, you know, prove a point. Um, I know that in the last, I guess, two to five years, they actually went to um, a city council meeting uh, or with the Department of Transportation um, and took some turtles there to say, hey, like these are these like Ruby and Pearl were there at the meeting Aww. and they were like, look at this turtle. Like this is who's getting hit. Ruby and Pearl showing up. Yeah. They said, hey, we have rights. That's right. um, and so difference. they took the turtles there and were able to actually get um, flashing construction signage almost. So what would typically say buckle up or drive safe, you know, during those nesting seasons, say be vigilant turtles are crossing. Right. And we hope those signs help. But I think the biggest thing is when people come in here, they don't realize like, oh, like this is the turtles that are crossing. And we've talked about even putting up um, different like markers to show how many turtles are hit each season. Because when you're driving to the beach, you're happy and excited. But when you see 200 flags on the side of the road of dead turtles that are hit in literally just two months, it can be pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and so it's... It has a silver lining. It's a sad job, but it's also really exciting. And it's important work, you know. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I was thinking, too, about um, the speed limit, you know, on some of these mm -hmm. on some of these roadways. Um, and the one we're specifically talking about, you know, getting on to Tybee Island. Yeah. Um, there are other roadways with exactly the same issues right. in, in other places. but. Right. Um, you think about the speed limit and, and a lot of people might say, okay, well, if I see a turtle crossing sign and I know that, you know, turtles are probably going to be in this area, right. um, and there's no way I'm not going to see a turtle that's coming across the road. Right. Talk about the size because you're likely not going to exactly. see the turtle. Exactly. So female terrapins are usually around nine inches in length, um, full grown. Male terrapins are smaller, so they're sexually dimorphic. Females are larger. They carry the eggs. Um, males are smaller. We actually typically haven't seen a lot of juveniles get hit, but last season, um, almost half of all of the dead on causeway animal or terrapins were juveniles. And so they're small. They're like the size of a fist. So the chances of you seeing it is pretty slim. Um, I think a huge problem too, with the speed limit, people say, why don't we just lower it? Well, people don't already follow it anyways, sure, like, yeah. but it's following closely. So the Island is one way on one way off. And so if you're riding the tail end of someone in front of you and they see a turtle and they're going to slow down and stop, now they have to worry about you rear-ending them in mm -hmm. the back. And another important, very important thing to say with this is um, as much as we want people to slow down and save the turtles, we typically do not condone anyone getting out of their car sure. and getting yeah. the turtle off the road um, because it is super dangerous. When we go out in the morning, we have reflective gear. We are, you're never by yourself because you have one person watching traffic. We don't want you to slow down when we're on the side of the road because you're going to cause an accident for a human, right? right? So we don't want you to get out. We want you to be aware. We understand it's sad. We want you to advocate for the turtles, but your safety is so important. Um, because uh, as sad as it is, you're more important than a turtle. Yeah, in my you have eyes. to protect yourself first. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah exactly. Absolutely. So, um, but if you do, you know, see a turtle crossing the road, maybe not on highway 80, 
they always say the best thing to do is pick it up and keep it going in the direction it's going mm -hmm. um, because they're on a mission. You don't want to turn them around. They'll just end up back that way. Right. Um, but if you see an injured turtle, you're always welcome to call us. Um, if you're in a safe area to pick the turtle up, you're more than welcome to pick it up. A lot of the times these turtles are hit and they tend to skid across the road. So they get a little displaced, uh, but they're really resilient animals. They, they can pull through quite a lot, especially in those situations where um, it's just a shell crack. So turtles, unlike us, are their, their bones are on the outside of their body. Their bones are their shells. Um, and, and underneath that, they have an organ sac, and that holds everything that makes them a turtle, makes them alive. Um, and once that organ sac is punctured, they typically have a hard time healing that. Um, but Dr. Mailer at Oatland Island is part of our network here. And so she'll go and uh, she'll either come to us. She lives out on the island, which is nice. She'll come to us and uh, assess the turtle and then take it over to Oatland and we'll nurse it back to health, um, which is really great. And, uh, and the network we have is actually Terps. So T-E-R-P-S, like Terrapins. And that's a huge organization with Georgia Southern, Oatland Island, and the Tybee Island Marine Science Center. So as you said earlier, there are other areas is the terrapins are crossing. So on Skidaway Island, which isn't far from here, they have a causeway where turtles are hit. I used to work on Skidaway Island and I only saw one turtle the entire season because the traffic flow is just so much slower. Right. People live out there, but it's not a tourist destination. Right, right. And that's the biggest thing is people are in a rush to get to the beach. They want to have fun and they're riding the tail of the person in front of them. And it can just be a disaster altogether. And it's a scary situation for, mm -hmm. for us and the turtles, honestly. I think it's interesting, too, if you if you want to talk a little bit about the, the work that goes on. I mean, it's such a partnership with so yes, many people. absolutely. Which is just wonderful. And, uh, you know, the work that goes on, you, you, are, you guys are actually looking at how all of these things are affecting the population right. of these turtles. Right. I mean, you're looking at their habitat loss. You know, you're looking at climate change. You're looking at you know, signage on the roads and things mm -hmm. like that. And there are people that are going to bat with the people who make decisions yep. about all of these specific exactly. environments to see what we can do. Exactly. So supporting those people and working with those people, super important. Yeah. Um, even with the sea turtle project, the uh, city of Tybee, majority of their workers are the first people out on the beach when a sea turtle stranding happens or sea turtle nests hatch. So we have them like using their trucks to carry a 200 pound turtle to us, which is really great. Um, and obviously all of our volunteers, um, but there are awesome opportunities, I think, to get changes made, especially when it comes to our terrapins. Um, but funding is a big thing, right? So um, in the past, we've done genetic um, studies here. So we've helped collect samples of the terrapins and send them off to um, a professor, Dr. Brian Shamlin at UGA. And so he has done so many genetic studies on sea turtles, on fish in the marsh. He's done grass studies. He's an awesome guy. Um, and he has in the past done genetic studies where when we get those dead uh, turtles, terrapins, we're able to take a body sample from them and send them to him and ideally see, you know, is this female, the one, uh, is this female terrapin, the mom of the juvenile who was hit? Is that the grandmother of the one who was hit here last year? And to help get an idea at these hot spots and crossings, like, is this, um, a 
family lineage, right? Like, are they crossing here because it's kind of bred into their brains? Um, and so his funding had been pulled. So right now we're not even able to pull those samples. We have hundreds of terrapins to process in the freezer, but we haven't yet because the funding's been pulled. And so in those situations where we could get funding to put, you know, a temporary uh, netting up for the season or look into getting new signage or things like that, um, it's hard. So that costs money. Yeah, it it all costs money. And (laughs) like... at last season, I was like, I'm going to paint on my car. Like I break for turtles. Like yes. I have, we all have stickers, right. That say I break, but on the causeway, especially I'm like, get off my butt. Like, let me That's slow right. down yeah. because yeah. it's important. And, um, to know that this species specifically, the diamondback terrapin, you know, uh, had such a fall back in the 1800s, early 1900s. And they finally got those numbers up and then, you know, human interaction is coming back again. Yeah. And while we're not intentionally killing the animals, we're upsetting them with, you know, uh, car crash or car hits also habitat loss. That was something you said. Um, as much as I love the idea of having a house on the marsh, um, when you're putting in those, um, docks and you're, you know, destroying that habitat, you're affecting everything. No, maybe a turtle wasn't nesting in your yard, but guess what? The animals that the turtle eats on and feeds on lives there. And so when you take away their habitat, it's a never ending process. It's all very intricately based. And so, um, people say, why don't we just slow the speed limit or why don't we build a bridge? But then you go into habitat loss. Like if we build a bridge all the way out to Tybee, then we're literally digging in the marsh where they live and the machinery is disrupting all the other animals that live in the marsh. Cause it's a nursery. It, it raises 98% of like all the animals in the ocean. So it's an intricate fine line between being like, do we do this and hopefully not disrupt everything? Or do we, you know, just keep collecting our data. And so right now we're just collecting that data. We're going out and doing what we can and, and educating, I think is the biggest thing and letting people know like, Hey, don't hit a turtle on the That's way right. here. And, yeah. You know, like keep your eyes peeled and don't follow so closely. Don't be in a rush. And I have to remind myself that when I'm on the way out here, especially come summer season, I'm like, if the person in front of me slams on their brakes, like I'm putting myself at risk or exactly. things like that. Yeah. So it can get tricky. No doubt. And, you know, I'm thinking too about um, just how in the last, you know, five, 10 years, like I feel like the the messaging and the education piece like up and down the east coast like really everybody is sort of starting to see i think you know that we all have a part of each other's environment you know especially i'm just thinking about kind of the east coast because i'm thinking you know we've been talking about um you know turtles that travel Mm -hmm. you know and 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 like we're we're talking about we've been talking about the right whale yeah and things like that So, you know, there is, you know, what's happening in our backyard in coastal Georgia is also happening in other backyards. Exactly. And that's why it's so important for us to all sort of, I think, pick up that same, um, you know, uh, same, same fight. Yeah. We're all here for the same message. That's something I'm always saying. Like, we're all here for the same cause. Like, and if you don't have terrapins living in your yard, guess what? You probably have box turtles and they're the same. Like we get all kinds of rescues here at the science center turtle wise, just turtles, which is crazy. And so while you might not have, you know, the beach in your backyard, you still have all those other animals and they interconnect. And the biggest thing I think when it comes to conservation of any animal, of any plant 
in general is networking and teamwork. And we all have the same mission and the same um, ideals and cause. And we're here to speak for the animals and the environments and ecosystems that cannot literally speak for themselves. Um, without that human voice, then you're just, you know, looking at animals and think they're cute. Well, yeah, they are cute. They're great. Like we need to be here and help protect them. And again, if you don't have, you know, terrapins or sea turtles in your yard, you have other animals that whether or not they're on, you know, the endangered species list or anything like that, they are in such important parts of an entire ecosystem. Um, it's, it's super intricate. It's all works really well together. And I think without that interconnection between, you know, other big facilities and then bringing it down to like kids on field trips, it's, it's so important because that's how you connect it all. If I'm talking to a huge scientist who's using big, big terms, that's great for me. And now I'm going to figure out how to bring that down to everyone else or bring it into my community and uh, any community I can. Right. No doubt about it. Well, um, when you're on Tybee, uh, Tybee Island, when you're visiting, whatever you're doing, a couple of things, slow it down a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, give yourself some space between you and the other vehicles. And of course, stop by and talk to Sarah because, uh, <laughs> she will, she will educate you on all the things you can of course find out about all of the conservation programs, um, on the website and in the show notes. So make sure you check those out. That funding piece is important. Um, Absolutely. you know, it really is. It's an important piece because it helps it all, uh, helps it all go around. Sarah, Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy I was back. From the beach to the marsh, from the ocean to the rivers and creeks, from the islands to the mainland to the classroom, this is your authentic coastal experience with Tybee Marine Science Center. We provide year-round programs for visitors, residents, and learners of all ages. You'll find us on Tybee Island at North Beach, beachside of Fort Screven. Join us in developing caring and responsible protection of coastal Georgia's natural resources. You can help us today by becoming a member. Your membership support helps fund conservation programs and assist with program fees for low-income groups. Visit TybeeMarineScience.org to learn more about becoming a member our volunteer opportunities are there and all of the cool merch available in our discovery shop. Thank you for sharing this episode with another curious learner. Grab your membership at tybeemarinescience.org and follow us on social. Together through education and conservation, we can make a difference.